Hello and welcome to Cognitive Urbanism. This is Justin Hollander, your host, and I am happy to offer you the latest in uh, episode in this podcast. Um, it's January 2019, so Happy New Year. I had the great pleasure of visiting Central Florida uh, recently, and while there, had a chance to travel around a bit and uh, went to Orlando, um, spent some time at Disney World. One of the things that really struck me in this visit was that, that this area, Orlando, is in fact the number one tourist destination in America. I mean, it, it beats out New York City and Times Square. It, it beats out Hollywood. It, it is where estimated about 66 million people every year travel. Now, there's a lot actually kind of going on around um, Orlando, but, but it's Disney World. That's the big magnet there. And what's ex- really extraordinary is how, p- how much people love Disney. The, this has been the case since 1971 when the park opened, and frankly, in, for the decade prior when Disneyland was open, in in uh, in California, so the ideas embedded in these these theme parks are unique. I mean, there've always been amusement parks um, going back to to ancient times, but but even you know the kind of early 20th century amusement parks in America were really not very well organized or thought out or designed. So I've had a chance to study Walt Disney himself a little bit and the origins of Disney World. I mean, it's, it's actually quite a fascinating story. He grew up himself, uh, you know, in a, in a very small, traditional town in Missouri. It was, um, we're heavily influenced by, by French city planning and, and architecture. Uh, very traditional in the sense that it had a center, a, a main street, a downtown, where all the buildings were close to the street and, and, and tightly packed together with a rich uh, diversity of architectural styles, with plenty of parks and open space, and then surrounded by a, a high-density residential and then lower density as you got further out, all within a, a very kind of easy, walkable neighborhood. And so when Walt Disney himself, after having so much success in their, their Disneyland um, project in, in California, wanted to build in Central Florida around Orlando, his idea was first was to create a model community, a new town that was going to bring the best ideas about city planning to bear. This, this city of tomorrow he was, he was going to build. But that went a little bit off the rails. And instead, the focus really was on creating a more of a replica of what was going on in Disneyland, but, but better. And so the Magic Kingdom was really the first, first piece of that. Uh, interestingly, the Disney's, uh, Walt Disney's ideas about that future city, City of Tomorrow, were actually quickly uh, articulated in, in Epcot. 
the um, which was really the second major uh, um, amusement park uh, complex in, in the in the Disney World area. But that was that was built uh, you know after his death. But th- if you kind of go back to Disney um, Disney um, Magic Kingdom, what's well, really interesting, and I've actually written about this in my book Cognitive Architecture, you have this quintessential small town with a main street, maybe they call it Main Street USA, shops and restaurants and presumably apartments, but there are nobody actually lives there. Um, on the on the sides of the street, and and really, what it does is not just on Main Street, but throughout the whole Magic Kingdom, it really emulates this small town environment that Disney himself grew up in. And actually, there's quite quite a lot of Mansardic roofs, quite a lot of references to French architecture, which uh, would have been expected in in his hometown, given the um, the influence of of the French as as early colonizers of of that part of the, of the United States. So what, what we have here is a phenomenon where, where the number one tourist attraction in America, people come, 66 million people a year, come and descend on this place where you don't need a car. And in fact, the monorail is one of the really unique at- attributes of the Disney World experience. And it's not just the monorail, there's also the one of the rides is called the People Mover, helping uh, gives gives you a sense of all the different aspects of one of the one of the parts of, of the Magic Kingdom, and and so what you have is is this pedestrian experience where you don't have to drive, and everything is very oriented to people at the human scale. has has the kind of really high quality edges, has the bilateral symmetry, has certain kinds of patterns. The the facades in the buildings really have very much arranged. Uh, the fenestration around looking like uh, faces, and there's faces everywhere. I mean, the the whole place is 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 a uh, uh, very welcoming to our subconscious, our unconscious, and this is something again I've written about in uh, cognitive architecture. So so that is something that I've known, and but it was really just in my recent visit that I was so so shocked and and really had to face how. The rest of Central Florida, you know, with the exception of a few historic cities like Orlando, the rest of the area is the, all the built environment for the last 40 years since 1971 when, when um, Walt Disney, you know, you know the opened up Disney World. Since 1971, I would say 99% of new development eschews all of those concepts that I just talked about. Everything's car oriented. Nothing is suits the pedestrian. There's hardly any place ever to walk in any of these 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 um, developments. We're talking about uh, people call it sprawl. I mean, we're talking about suburbs and new towns and new developments. It's really shocking that this engine for the whole regional economy. The recipe for what it takes to make great places is there. People love it there. Yet, when it comes to where people actually have to live and work, spend time in their real lives outside of going to uh, going to entertainment and amusement park, it's not like that. 
it's uh, it's really quite unpleasant you know, from my assessment in, in in regards to other other ways you can measure measure people's well-being these are these are places that are not well designed so it comes to this kind of larger question of well what's going on here i mean there's this this, this massive paradox and what's happening well part of the part of the answer actually is is not that far from disney world in the new town of celebration again stemming from Walt Disney's kind of early ideas about creating this this ideal community, uh, it, Celebration is, it was a new town. Uh, I think first um, houses were started being sold about 15 years ago. Um, so this is a place that has has had uh, a decade or so to, to start to grow up. The, the street trees are mature. Um, the, their elementary schools. There's crime. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a real place, but it's a but it's a master plan community, and that's and that's really what's what's special here. The Disney Company owns uh, the entire complex and and has has only sold off uh, some land to to private owners and businesses. They've also retained massive portions of it, and they've also retained legal and regulatory authority over over zoning and planning and community development. So, so that's that's really in many ways the answer. That that the Disney Company was able to create Magic Kingdom and the resorts and all the all these places that people love, and celebration because it's master planned, and that master planning is really what's what's so unique. The ability to be able to to control all facets of the, the of construction, of development, of environment, and zoning and regulatory, and and, and and really just have that kind of um, unprecedented power in, in the, the hands of one entity. I mean, it reminds me of the way that the, the Soviets, you know, master plan these, these massive, massive cities and not just one or two, you know, dozens, if not hundreds um, throughout the, the Soviet Union. This is really the, it's the kind of scale that you kind of need to be able to achieve some sort of, some sort of preordained vision. Because if you look at what's going on in these cities and towns all over um, Central Florida, and frankly, all over the United States, to be honest, is the framework that's in place, if there is any framework at all, it's zoning. That's the primary way that we regulate land in America today. And, and, and zoning, I mean, sure, there's form-based zoning. There are ways people have come up with some, some strategies, but, but, but most of those innovative approaches are, are not employed. So instead, what you have are just these piecemeal regulations that simply require some modest investment in health, safety, bulk regulating, parking, minimum parking regulating, setbacks and and sure i mean a lot of the zoning is out of date and it can be repaired my own hometown actually planners are working feverishly to 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 try to look at this this was essentially 40 50 year old zoning and saying well maybe maybe this isn't really what we're looking for this isn't what we want so it's happening it does happen places but but you know i think that the celebration story tells tells something much deeper which is that to grill to uh, today 2019 to be able to create places that that connect with people at that unconscious level and and, and create meaning in the, the places like mainstream USA that that that's gonna that's gonna bring people back again and again 
these kinds of places are, are really hard to do through the conventional zoning framework that we that we use. And so, so the master developer idea, I think, is is one. It's uh, it's not always useful and it's not always prudent, but I think we need to be creative. We need to be innovative and think about other ways. And 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 the form based zoning, as I mentioned, that's that's actually was. Uh, adopted in Miami and and, and and dozens of other cities, um, there's uh, there's still uh, jury still out on on how well in the long term form based coding codes really um, really allow for the creation of these kinds of great spaces. But um, yeah, I'm certainly optimistic, and I'm also optimistic that there's other strategies out there that 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 I think we need to continue to push and push and and be creative about how do we balance the individual liberties for people who own property against that kind of larger goals for society to, to, to accomplish, whether it's walkable communities or pedestrian-oriented or, or to be able to make places more healthy for people just in general on, on both a mental and a physical level. I mean, these are all notable and important uses of the local police power and, and certainly can be can be expressed in, in new and creative rules and regulations. Well, so thank you for listening and uh, subscribing to my podcast. This has been an episode of Cognitive Urbanism, and I hope to connect with you again. If uh, you're enjoying listening to these, I definitely encourage you to uh, reach out to me and uh, tell me tell me what you like and what you don't like. And if there's topics that you're interested in learning more about or hearing me uh, speak about, happy to happy to do that. It's great. Well, have a nice have a nice one. Bye bye.